You're listening to ZZ Talk, a father-son generational podcast where we talk about entertainment, culture, and a variety of other subjects from the perspectives of both Gen Z and Gen X. I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is ZZ Talk. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. So today it is December, what, 6th, and that means that we are kicking off the Christmas season or the holiday season for a wider variety of people. But uh, today, of course, we wanted to talk about one of our favorite things, and that is movies, specifically Christmas movies. Now, I'm not much of a Christmas spirit type person, but I think I get more into the holiday season more than anything else. And one of the best traditions, of course, of uh, the post-Thanksgiving sort of December mindset is being able to watch uh, some of my favorite Christmas movies that I've seen ad nauseum over the years. And I know that my dad has uh, certainly introduced me to quite a few of these, but uh, we wanted to go over our favorite picks and weigh them against the Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter just to see how they sort of stack up. And I'm sure that we'll have some sort of generational uh, differing opinions on some of these movies, and there might be a little bit of overlap. But overall, you can count on that these are our favorite picks for the holidays. So uh, before we get into it, do you have anything else to add to that? I do. I was just going to say, I think we may have, I'm going I'm to bet that we have just one overlapping film. And I will say that I am someone who does get into the Christmas uh, spirit. I like to start listening to my Christmas music, my holiday music before Halloween. If I mean, the, the season goes so fast, so why not enjoy it? Although there will be a lot of people I know who say, you know, let Thanksgiving occur and then we can have Christmas or the holiday season. I would say that in the neighborhood this year, I felt like more people got their Christmas stuff out early, oh, well before Thanksgiving. And I think people just realized that you know, the season goes so quickly. And, and honestly, it's a whole lot of effort to get it all the way you want it. So why not go ahead and get going early? Well, absolutely. And especially after last year, I think there's, uh, it's especially time to be thankful for the holiday season when uh, people have more of a reason to be able to get together and uh, celebrate. So, you know, we're just kind of coming off of that and we're no strangers to it ourselves. When I came back and visited, um, I saw a giant St. Bernard with a Christmas hat inflatable in our front yard. And that thing is pretty epic. Not going to lie. It's what, yeah, was it, it is pretty epic. Now, I mean, our listeners, most of our listeners know we, we have two St. Bernard's. We've talked about them. You've heard them. Uh, and so we just thought it would be kind of fun to add a third to the mix this holiday season and get the nine foot inflatable St. Bernard so that everyone knew that the guy who walks those big dogs lives in that big house or that that house is not that big. I think they're acutely aware when their dogs meet ours. But uh, that aside, (laughs) um, I think I've spoken a little bit about that. Why don't we go ahead and uh, get into our top picks and I'll let you go ahead and start. All right. Well, since I know that you are like a a, in a no particular order kind of guy, Mm -hmm. I will be that guy today. And I'm going to start with a film that is definitely not on your list, but it is one of my all-time favorite films, period, let alone holiday films. And it has nothing to do with the name of the city in the title. Hmm. Meet me in St. Louis. Got it. When I say that, to know me is to know I'm a big Cardinals fan. I'm a big St. Louis, Missouri fan in general. Um, but Meet me in St. Louis is from 1944. 
it is uh, it has a 100% score on the tomato meter. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to tell you that I'm not sure I think any film deserves a 100%. I would give this probably a 98%. It's a terrific film and it is the first time you ever heard the song. I mean, it really, it was the, the song have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas was written for the film. So Judy Garland sings it. It is um, kind of a gut-wrenching rendition of it. And it's a turn-of-the-century kind of World's Fair, big family leaving St. Louis, but the World's Fair is coming. I know to you that does not sound exciting, but it is a great film, and I highly recommend it. Meet Me in St. Louis or Meet Me in St. Louis, uh, which is you know how the song goes. I mean, I think that sounds perfectly exciting. And my next pick is sort of going to mirror that time period. But I would also like to remind our audience that the tomato meter score is aggregated. It does a 98% or 100% does not mean it's a 10 out of 10 per se. It just means that 98% of critics or 100% of critics gave it a six or above. So a favorable review or above. All right. So um, for me, first up is Miracle on 34th Street. 1947 and this one the original yes and this one has uh, 96% on the tomato meter Um, I would go ahead and say that this movie just sort of embodies the originality of what Christmas is all about it's got this childlike innocence to it you know a very much it's it's very simplistic and of course the plot for our viewers who haven't seen the movie is that uh, a man fills in for uh, another Santa Claus during the Macy's Day uh, Thanksgiving parade. And he does such a good job that people come back, uh, that people ask him to come back. And he he continually does such a good job, but his name is Kris Kringle. And so he starts to assert that he is the real Santa. And then he gets taken to court because people think it's getting out of hand. They question his mental health and they question, you know, the sincerity and this authenticity of his uh, resolve for the holiday spirit. So it's a really unique plot for something that came out pre-1950, and I think it's somewhat timely even today, especially where a good thing will go into the court of public opinion and get absolutely ravaged, something as simple as Santa Claus, Christmas, or something that's, um, I guess, very positive in many ways. But I would absolutely agree with the tomato meter. I think it's an exceptional movie for its time, and I think it definitely holds up to this day. If I remember correctly, I think it's in black and white. Um, I watched it in 2012. So I must have been in ninth grade back then, but I remember thoroughly enjoying it. It's something that every audience can like. So Miracle on 34th Street. Great choice. The original is a classic. Natalie Wood is the little girl. um, And uh, the remake from 1994 was also pretty good. So if you have a chance to see either version, you're in for a treat, but the original is one of the all-time classic. I'm going to be showing my age when I ask you this question, but Was Judy Garland in The Sound of Music or was she in Wizard of Oz? I can't remember. What? Judy Garland is in The Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. Okay. That makes sense. And Wizard of Oz was late 30s, right? 1939. It was the same year as as Gone with the Wind. And was that the first movie in color? I don't know the answer to that question. I don't think it was. No, I'm pretty sure it was not. Um, Well, cool. All right. Now I know. Okay. All right. My next film is a film you have never heard of, and it does not even have a tomato meter score. But Mm -hmm. so growing up, you know, there were limited number number of channels that you could watch. But on this channel 17, which was like this channel that showed old movies. Now, remember, I was a child. I'm a child of the 80s. So an old movie had to be really old if 
you know, it's, if it was old in the 80s. All of this is to say there's a film that, that, show, that they showed year in and year out. It was called Silent Night, Lonely Night. And this is a film that is from 1969, and it stars Lloyd Bridges and Shirley Jones. Now, you may know Shirley Jones from the Partridge family. Yes. She was the mom in the Partridge family. Lloyd Bridges is also a familiar name to me. Right. Bo Bridges is his son. So the actor, Bo Bridges is his son. So anyway, um, and this is a film that uh, is about two strangers, married strangers, who meet and have a a romance at a bed and breakfast in New England over the holidays. So really it's, it's, it's a film, honestly, about infidelity, which is really, I'm gonna say contrary to everything I believe in, but it's an interesting character study uh, with two people who were really, I think, uh, big celebrities at the time. And I, I'm not sure this film, I'm not sure any one of our listeners has ever heard of this film. And it's a film I haven't seen in, in probably 40 years. Eh. 35 years, but it's kind of a classic because it's moody, it's, um, it's sentimental, and uh, the scenery is kind of nice. So anyway, Silent Night, Lonely Night. I knew that would not be on your list, Noah. Well, it sounds like it's almost the antithesis to Christmas with uh, the subject matter, but um, I think it also speaks to the quality of the movie that you haven't seen it in most of your lifetime, and uh, it still sort of sticks with you today. So that's yeah. something I'll definitely have to check out. It's a little bit of a departure from, I mean, I'm not sure anybody else, certainly not who's doing a podcast, would have this on their list of favorite holiday films or Christmas films, but it's, uh, it's memorable. I'll leave it at that. Absolutely. And I would argue that there's a lot of Christmas or holiday films that definitely deviate from the normal hallmark trademark that we usually see. All right. Go. So up next for me, I'm going to sort of uh, demonstrate that point and I'm going to say, why him? which is a movie that came out in 2016. It's a Christmas comedy starring James Franco. It's also starring um, Brian Cranston, as you may know, as Walter White from Breaking Bad. And um, this movie is just hilarious. First of all, it just so happens to take place around the holidays. So it's not necessarily, you know, Santa Claus, Kris Kringle the entire time, but there's definitely the theme there. And so essentially there's a tech billionaire Uh, who has really learned no life skills, but he was smart enough to make a game that made a lot of money, and he's dating a beautiful girl. And uh, that girl wants to introduce uh, this tech billionaire to her parents, who are very, you know, prim and proper and not really used to the sort of lavish lifestyle and crude personality of uh, James Franco's billionaire character, and hilarity ensues. It's so funny. Keegan-Michael Key from Key and Peele is in it, and it's just it's just a really, really entertaining time. And despite how crass it is, it's a pretty hard R-rated movie. I mean, there's a lot of um, language in it. It's really sweet, though. It has a really, really soft center. And you can tell it came from a really good place, despite all of the crazy stuff that you wade through during the entirety of the movie. But there's a lot of genuine, um, there's a lot of genuinely good acting and heartfelt moments in this movie. And it is centered around Christmas and presents and being with one another and uh, just the whole theme of wanting to sort of spend time with one another, get to know each other well and um, enjoy each other's presence rather than sort of judging people on superficial things that they might not understand about each other. So why him got a 39% on the tomato meter. Um, I would definitely disagree with this. I would give this movie probably a seven and a half. I had no expectations going into this one, but I'm kind of surprised critics didn't really see it for what it was. 
I think oftentimes um, critics are doing just that, doing their jobs when they see any sort of movie. And when you look at something through too critical of a lens, you can sometimes lose the fun factor when you go into watching a film. So this is one of those ones where if you've never heard of it, which you probably haven't, and you're interested in seeing it, definitely give it a spin. I think you'll definitely find yourself uh, enjoying it for sure. So that's Why Him 2016. You and Luke showed it to your mom and me like a few mm-hmm. years ago. And um, I remember thinking, I mean, it's outrageous. It is absolutely outrageous. But I remember thinking it was it was amusing and, and a fun two hours or a fun hour and 45 minutes. And, you know, that's really what I'm looking for. Actually, I'm looking for a fun 90 minutes or less, but you know how I go with, with movies. Well, it's funny because the parents in that film were much like y'all, you know, <laughs> I would say yeah, that, is, you know. I don't, I don't, seriously, I don't remember what they were like, so describe them. I would say that um, they definitely had an aversion to uh, the crash and sort of uh, crass and outlandish kind of stuff. And, um, you know, they they had their old traditions. You know, they were very much, uh, they very much sort of didn't subscribe to the newer trends or weren't exactly on with um, some of what the Gen Z or young millennial leanings would be. But, um, you know, overall, they got to be able to uh, sort of learn a different side of people. And I think what y'all do best is uh, sort of take things that you don't know about and uh, you have an open mind about it. So I think that's sort of where the parallels were. But I think it was so funny to me is because we were showing you a movie where it felt like some of the characters were in some of your position. So. Okay. Yeah, it was funny. So um, I'm glad you actually, you you mentioned that at Thanksgiving and I'm just glad you did because I had honestly forgotten about it. So uh, yeah, I'd like to see it again, actually. Yeah. Um, next up for me is a Christmas classic, which mm. surprisingly only has a 77% on the tomato meter, okay. um, but an audience score of 88%. And that is the 1954 classic white Christmas with Bing Crosby. Hmm. And, um, and I think Danny Thomas, and it's just, oh, well, I think it's when I think of Christmas movies, this is quintessential Christmas. Is it campy? Yes. Are most films from that era? Yes but it's got great musical numbers. You see raw and real talent in all four of the leads. Rosemary Clooney is in it. Um, Yes, that is George Clooney's aunt. And uh, it's just an overall great classic film with a lot of really memorable musical numbers. Uh, Again, a little cheesy, but you know, it, it takes place well, it takes place in a lot of locations, but at a, at a New England inn at Christmas time and, Lots of snow and lots of, I don't know, camaraderie, love, Christmas spirit, which I love. So anyway, White Christmas, 1954, is 77% on the tomato meter. I'd give it much higher. I'd probably give it a 90. Well, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, I haven't seen the movie for myself, but I know it's in the Christmas movie pantheon uh, or what have you. But uh, yeah, you mentioned that it has musical numbers and you are far more of a person to enjoy those types of films than I am. But I will admit, there are quite a few films I enjoy that do have that sort of element to them, despite me not being a straight up musical person uh, when it comes to those types of films. But um, I'm going to sort of give an example of a film with the musical numbers that I really, really appreciate that were done super well. So this is 1993's the Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, this is just an amazing film. Uh, the stop motion, Tim Burton. Wow. I would not have thought this was going to be on your list. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've seen this movie probably four or five times. But um, yeah, Tim Burton's assured direction, his very, very specific. I, I remember reading a story about this. He had been conceiving it since 
probably the early 80s, I think, since he started his directorial debuts. And he always wanted to get it filmed, but he was only able to really pitch that idea to executives and have them sign off on it once he had established himself, I think, after Batman. Um, so 1993, it's pretty crazy to think that a stop motion film like this was able to be created and still looks so good to this day. It matches two holidays that could not be any more different together. This is Halloween. This is Halloween. Exactly, exactly. It's got catchy numbers. You know, it's it's got a bit of a macabre a sort of um, sense to it, but it mixes the joy of Halloween and the curiosity, I mean, the joy of Christmas and the curiosity sort of creepy side of Halloween and somehow makes two antithetical holidays fit together really, really well. And I don't think I've ever seen another movie like this that sort of combines the holiday theme together in such a powerful way. But Jack Skellington, amazing, amazing character, amazing movie poster, just all around great film. It's one of those ones that I can rewatch endlessly and I do want to watch it this holiday season. So this one got a 95%. I absolutely agree with this. I can see no reason why 95% of critics wouldn't at least like this film. Well, save it uh, for when you come home because I'd like to see it too. It's been a lot of years since I've seen it. So we still have it on video. Well, it's on Disney Plus too. True, true. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next up on my list is a film that I'm sure is not on your list. It's uh, 2006's The Holiday. And The Holiday is with Cameron Diaz, uh, Kate Winslet, Jack Black, Jude Law. And, and others. And this is just a really, really good film. Now, uh, I say that, but the consensus on the tomato meter, at least the critics consensus was that it was a 49%. Um, I disagree completely. Um, this was when um, Cameron Diaz was at the height of her popularity. Kate Winslet was, well, she remains one of the, the strongest female actors of, of, our, of her generation. Um, and it's just a really good good story about I think it's um, two different continents I think uh, I think Cameron Diaz plays a celebrity who is uh, trying to get away from um, you know all of the, the all of her fans for the holiday something like that anyway it's it's a good film I highly recommend it it, it deserves more than a 49 percent and again for me I'm a little bit of a sucker for nice scenery and it's sort of like this it's not a bed and breakfast like some of the other films I've mentioned but it's this um, country inn, um, but it's not an inn. So a country private manor where it's snowing a lot and, you know, just a lot of. You like uh, the setting and the scene. I, I like, yeah, I like certain settings. Of films. Very cozy. This, yeah. yeah, it is. It's very cozy and it's very Christmassy because, you know, we live in a part of the country where we're, we're generally not going to see a white Christmas. In fact, it's often 60 degrees on Christmas, which I don't love. I would like it to be 25 on Christmas. You're making but, it sound like we live in California. I know. Well, at the end of the day, we're just, you know, going to have to live vicariously through people who can enjoy the Christmas season with snow. But, uh, and I can do that. And I can do that through watching films, particularly like ones like The Holiday. Cool. It's funny because I know The Holiday. I know the poster. And mm-hmm. I know it especially because it was one of Jack Black's uh, limited uh, film roles during that time. Um, he got a lot of popularity from... School of Rock and his band Tenacious D. I know he was uh, doing some stuff around then with the Tenacious D movie, but I think Jack Black has really, really gotten a lot more uh, successful sort of in the past three to five years. Um, what was what was that movie, Jumanji, that he was in? And I think he was in Jumanji too, if that came yeah. out. Right. 
That's interesting you say that because I don't think of Jack Black as at the height of his celebrity right now. He um, definitely is. He's very popular online nowadays too, especially during quarantine. He really sort of built himself up with, um, you know, he's just a silly guy. He's a really talented musician and a lot of people respond to that sort of awkwardness on the internet nowadays. So um, yeah, he has, he runs this sort of like gaming channel with his sons. Uh, so that's, that's pretty fun. That's good for him. All right. So moving up next for me is uh, a Muppet Christmas Carol. 1992. So this one has a 76% on the tomato meter and it stars Sir Michael Caine, who you might know as Alfred from the Batman Dark Knight trilogy of uh, recent. And myriad other films from my generation. I was about to say, he is one of the most prolific actors of all time, arguably. He's in a lot of, um, he's in a lot of movies that Christopher Nolan has directed, but you know, his, uh, his stardom, I think, was before my time uh, for the majority of it, but he's certainly been in quite a few films. He just retired or softly retired from acting, I believe. But A Muppet Christmas Carol is just, it's just a great movie. I mean, the Muppets have gone in and out of popularity, and I would arguably say that they're probably at their lowest public interest at this point, even after the fantastic 2012 uh, Muppet movie. But this is just it's just a very kind-hearted film that's not afraid to explore some dark themes. It's for children and adults. It's got great musical numbers. How could we forget Marley and Marley? And um, did John Denver do like for me to sing it for you? No, I will not do that. All right. Uh, no, John Denver and the Muppets was a whole like Christmas special and album, which we have well. Yes, I remember album. seeing that in our closet and I was the wondering. The 12 Days of Christmas is sort of a classic. Yeah, I think a Muppet Christmas Carol, obviously some people are just kind of put off by puppets and they don't really like the gimmick and whatnot, but I think it stands right where it is at a 76% as um, pretty solid where it is. Um, Other than that, I think it's a pretty timeless movie and with a story that's been done to death just over and over and over, Hollywood has to have, a. I mean, Patrick Stewart's played in a movie uh, version of this as well, alongside Disney doing a Jim Carrey animated version in 2009 or 2010 i mean there's just been so many oh, retellings yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah there's been so many retellings of the story but this one is just a really good way to sort of add a little bit of a muppet gimmick but also make it interesting give it some good musical numbers and also sort of tell the story in a way that is digestible to both children and adults so mm-hmm. i found that a muppet christmas carol has really stayed with me over the years it's my favorite version of A Christmas Carol because The Christmas Carol is really not my favorite. Maybe because it's just so overdone. There are so many versions of A Christmas Carol. Oh, yeah. But I like this one. In fact, I considered putting it on my list, but I did not. Um, so I have... It? What's that? Why do you hate it so much? I, I don't. I love <laughs> it. But there are so many other films. And you mentioned Kind Hearted, so I'm going to go with um, technically my last one, although I've got several honorable mentions and I reserve the right to use them. But um, 2003's Elf. Elf. You know, Elf. it's so funny. I did not even consider Elf when I was... Oh, uh, is that, this is the one I thought was going to be both of our list. Yeah. You've heard me say uh, recently that Will Ferrell just... I don't think he's generally funny, but he, he's actually pretty funny. And he made this film. He oh, yeah. literally made this film. I, I cannot imagine anybody else in this role... It is flat out hilarious. The innocence and the sincerity, the authenticity with which he performs in this role as Buddy the Elf is flat out 
hilarious. Every time I watch it, it's a laugh out loud kind of film. And I've seen it a hundred times. Um, but anyway, Elf from has an 85% on the tomato meter. That's probably what I'd give it. Maybe I give it 90%. It's, it is truly one of the modern Christmas classics. So, I mean, I think if you talk to, if you ask 10 people what their two or three favorite Christmas movies are, Elf is going to be named by most of them. Oh, absolutely. And I think Elf is definitely extremely popular among my generation, alongside the 2000 version of The Grinch with Jim Carrey. Um, no, really. Yeah, people my age absolutely love. I'm cringing these- at that because that film, I, I just can't. Well, maybe your heart has grown 10 sizes bigger since then. So um, two sizes too small. Okay. All right. So Elf, um, that was actually directed by John Favreau, uh, who went on to direct Iron Man. And he's a friend of ours because we met him. Well, we saw him. (laughs) Yeah, very, very briefly. Um, And uh, that was pretty cool during the Sony Law Tour. And he also did some episodes of The Mandalorian. So we'll be talking about some more Star Wars because there's some Star Wars TV coming later this month. So, all right. Um, finally, for me, uh, I just have one left, and I'm surprised that you did not say this one. And this is 1996's Jingle All the Way. So, oh. yeah, this movie has an abysmal seventeen percent on the tomato meter. But oh my gosh, is it just the height of entertaining? You know, I don't think anybody ever went to Arnold Schwarzenegger's movies for his acting prowess, right? You know, he was never... That's fair. He's not a terrible uh, actor. He's really not. But it's just the way he delivers his lines and how he's just so synonymous with that giant American action hero, despite the fact that he's Austrian. It's, you know, there's something so silly. It's like kindergarten cop. You know, you see Arnold Schwarzenegger hanging out with a bunch of That's kids great film. and you have to laugh. You just have to laugh. You know, it is not a tumor like that kind of the way he it's so funny. So Jingle All the Way stars, of course, Arnold. It stars uh, Jake Lloyd, who played as Anakin in the first and uh, the Phantom Menace, which came out in 1999, only three years later. But um, yeah, this movie is great. It follows uh, an overworked sort of workaholic dad who is not really able to give his family the time that they need. And so all his son wants for that Christmas is a Turbo Man action figure. And of course, Turbo everybody else Man. is going and getting it. And so he ends up forgetting it until probably a couple days before Christmas. So he does that whole mad dash scramble while everybody else is trying to get themselves a Turbo Man action figure too. It, def- it definitely sort of dives into the ridiculous at some points, but that's just exactly how you have to experience this movie. It's sweet. It's good natured. It sort of has a little bit of a meditation on the commercialism of the holidays, um, especially 20 years ago before e-commerce, or I guess that movie is now uh, about 25 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's just done really well. It's got Sinbad and uh, <laughs> Arnold in a ball pit telling a kid to put down that cookie. So funny. So funny. Uh, You know, there's just, there's just too much to enjoy about this film to just really look at it too critically. You know, you have to go into it and just enjoy it for what it is. And that's why it's probably our most rewatched Christmas film annually Uh over the years. We were on a roll there for a while. There must've been a decade where we watched that every single year. I mean, it is just that fun of a movie. And I think it's kind of gained its cult classic status more as the years have gone on. So uh, 17%. Hard disagree. It's not the height of filmmaking. Of course, it doesn't reach something like 
Miracle on 34th Street or A Nightmare Before Christmas, but you're there to be entertained. It makes you feel good. It's a warm and fuzzy holiday movie that pulls no punches and is just there to make you laugh. What more so can you often, ask for? So often holiday movies are exactly what you expect them to be. Mm-hmm. And honestly, at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with that. It's funny because you just named a film that you, I think, used as part of our um, Check It Out last week. Mm-hmm. And my last film, because I'm going to sneak a sixth film in here, is what I said in our Check It Out uh, section last week, which is Daddy's Home too. <laughs> yeah, I, I was kind of surprised that you didn't put that one on the list. You just finished that. Uh... I, I did, and I, as I said last week, I may watch it again. It is... I'm just sorry. It's not sorry. It's funny. It's uh, Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell and John Lithgow and um, uh, Mel Gibson and Linda Cardellini. And they are, I mean, all holiday films are ridiculous in, in, in a lot of ways. They're, um, there's a lot of silliness in, in most of them. And, and certainly in this one, there's a lot. But it's, it's, uh, it's exactly what you come to the movies for, to laugh. Uh, to roll your eyes, to cringe, and to celebrate with people who you like on screen the holiday season that you enjoy so much. So, Daddy's Home 2, it has, uh, it's from 2017, it has a 21% on the tomato meter, and that's really un- unfortunate because I'd give it a at least a 70%. Yeah, well, wait, it has a 21%? 21%. Ah, uh, come on. I know, We're right? too negative. I know. All right. I mean, people, you have to know what you're going in for, right? I mean, you're not going in for Shakespeare when you go see Daddy's Home too. Yeah, of course. You're, you're going in to roll your eyes and, and laugh and, and think that's so ridiculous, that would never happen. But as long as you set your mind to that, what's wrong with getting that out of it? Right? Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, I think literally a lot of critics miss the point of this film it's about people who are so serious just breaking down their walls too you know towards each other you know mel gibson plays that you know sort of just grizzled dad who's just too cool for school and he eventually ends up showing his son the affection that he never really gave him and uh, i think part of the first movie was sort of breaking down those walls between stepfather and uh former father so that's I mean, it, it, it's it's a really fun film. biological Johnson, father and stepfather, yeah, an absolute banger of a line in reference to Band Aid's uh, classic song. So, uh, yeah, go ahead, go like ahead. The and song check so that much, out, yeah. I listened to it in August. <laughs> I don't even Related care. To, I listen to I mean, it in August. Do they know, do they know it's Christmas? I like the song yeah. so much. I don't care. I listen to it in August. You know where uh, it doesn't sound? What's that? Do you know where it doesn't sound? Oh, Africa. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, you'll have to watch the movie in order to sort of get that gag. But um, I think that sort of rounds out our Christmas movies. Yeah, except I don't play by your rules, Noah. I have four more uh, uh, honorable mentions. I'm going to rapid fire. Real fast. Okay. Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, 95%. I don't know who those 5% are, but they're wrong. It's okay. amazing. Charlie Brown, Chris. What? What? Not a massive fan of that movie. I, I don't understand. Charlie Brown Christmas, 83%. Who on earth doesn't love that? I do. Sorry. You do love it. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Now, I would argue that this is not my favorite, and it's at 100%. This is the 1967 Boris Karloff um, version, the cartoon. Amazing. But really, that's 100%, but Charlie Brown Christmas is 83%. Wrong. And lastly, it is a Christmas movie, no matter what you say, and it's Die Hard from 1988. 94%. 
I rewatched it last Christmas. Great film. Done. Great. Sounds good. I think right. we uh, got our obligatory Die Hard as a Christmas film in there. Uh, yeah, and there's this actually this really funny article I read. So, you know, of course, there's the back and forth argument of whether it is or is not a holiday film. I actually saw a data-driven analysis case study on uh, the on why Die Hard should be considered a Christmas film. So it's pretty funny. Some people have more time on their hands than I do. Well, they're data scientists, so of course, it's very interesting. And we spend yeah. our time podcasting. They spend their time uh, making great case studies. All right. So uh, let's move into our check it out section. What do you think? Okay. I have a film. Big surprise. Big surprise. And it, and it is King Richard. So this is a film on HBO Max and in theaters. Uh, it is the story of um, the uh, Venus and Serena Williams uh, father. Well, it's basically the, the Williams family. Wait, this is um, on HBO Max? It's on HBO Max. The one with Will Smith? Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, I got to see it. You got to get to watch it because it's going to be gone in like on the 20-something. Okay. It's great. Yeah. So first of all, it's got Will Smith in it, so it's automatically great. But it is, and I'm not a big tennis fan, and I couldn't tell you much about Venus or Serena Williams other than, you know, obviously they're incredibly talented. This is a great film. The first half of the film is probably perfect, at least from my standpoint, because it is, I mean, it's a bio, biopic, uh, you know, people um, complain about them, but this is really, you know, as a parent, you champion your kids. That That's what you do. And mm -hmm. this is what Richard does he champion he has a he has a goal he believes in his daughters now they have three other sisters too so there's five william sisters oh man uh, so it really focuses on on venus in particular but serena as well the first half is amazing because honestly the whole half first half of the film i sat there with a lump in my throat because i was so uh happy with the way this was portraying uh their father as such a champion of his daughters of the whole family and the mom is too. It, it's, it's so well done. Uh, the second half is almost as strong. It, it takes a little bit of a tonal difference uh, or change, but it's, it's worth it. It's got your, your boy, John Barenthal in it. John Barenthal. Yeah, that's it. And yeah, uh, you have plenty of stuff with him. And Tony Goldwyn. Uh, yeah. Who you scandal. recognize. And ghost. Yeah. Great cast. Great film. Highly recommend. Um, check it out. Cool. King Richard, HBO Max. Uh, yeah, um, I definitely have to watch that film purely for the fact that I really enjoy tennis and Will Smith is awesome. I'll watch nearly everything with him in it, unless it has M. Night Shyamalan's name uh, attached to it. But um, yeah, <laughs> all right. So uh, you uh, probably don't know this, but we are wearing headphones because we are in the process of audio correcting and making a better production value. We know our sound quality has been here and there, and we want to be much more consistent because obviously that makes for a better listening experience. So we're wearing headphones right now, and these are of the cheaper Black Friday variety, but it's helping us sort of learn how to course correct our audio, which leads me into my check it out is this awesome pair of headphones I just bought. These are the Pioneer DJs, and they cost far less than Beats headphones. They're built less cheaply, and they're also, they've got kind of this nice bulky feel to them. Uh, you can wear them around your neck, and you also have this um, really well-padded cushions for each ear, and the sound is sensational. I have been, I have not hopped onto the AirPod train. They do cost less than AirPods, 
but I will admit for myself that I have been using the wired headphones. I've been very old hat about this for, well, ever since I can remember. I don't think I've really ever used a set of Bluetooth uh, earbuds or headphones, but these might really just convince me. Uh, these are fantastic headphones and they're called Pioneer DJs. So check them out. I am on the AirPod train, by the way. I know you are. I know you are. Yeah, big fan. Be on the be on the Mac train, and maybe we can uh, uh, have you record uh, a little bit easier too. Okay. Uh, will you get me a Mac for Christmas, Noah? <sighs> well, let's uh, let's see if I make a little bit more money first. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to our first, our first of several right holiday yes. episodes. The first of several holiday season podcasts. And um, what day is Christmas this year? It is Saturday. Nice. Saturday, yes. It's, uh, what, two weeks from this Saturday? Uh, wouldn't that be cool if it dropped on a Wednesday? Uh, because then we could just do our podcast then. But um, yeah, regardless of that fact, um, it's going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to have quite uh, a bit of recording time because I am finishing up my master's degree soon. I'm so excited about one that. Week, one week from today, right? Yes. So that will give me uh, one week from... No, actually, I finish on Wednesday. That's my final as assignment. As in Wednesday, as in like 48 hours from now. Yes. So it's definitely grind time, but um, it will give us time back to sort of really put a lot of work and energy into uh, next season of our podcast. And we're going to be structuring our seasons as one year each. So that might take a long time, but we believe in better quality and we always want to do better. So if you have any suggestions for us, we'll also be far more active on social media. So we hope to sort of create a little bit of a dialogue and hear from what y'all think. Noah's so, going to have more time on his hands and I'm going to receive some tutorials over the holiday season. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. You're going to be an audio engineer and a social media guru. You're going to be doing it all. So, well, I'm already a social media guru. So let's get it. All right. We'll see about that. Anyway, um, thank you for listening. I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is Easy Talk. Easy Talk.